I look back at the hardest things I've ever done in my life, and it it's not people really focus on neck down muscles. You really need to focus on the neck up ones. Because I I went back as a buds instructor for 18 months, and I mean you take so many physical tests before you even start training. Like if you can make it to the first day of training, you physically have what it takes to graduate. It's the muscles below your neck that do just fine. The one that that just trips people up is the one above their neck, between their ears. I mean, I'm telling you, physiologically, the students are fine. They just quit. Welcome to the Mountain Tough Podcast, brought to you by Sig Sauer. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Mountain Tough Podcast. We are so glad that you are here diving into these episodes week after week. It is our goal to bring you the best of the best, inspiring guests where we can break down their mindset and learn what tools they have in their toolbox to live that virtuous, abundant life so that you can apply some of those principles tomorrow. If you're a brand new listener or a loyal listener, if you could take a second and leave a ranking or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Those mean a ton to us. They're so meaningful for me and the Mountain Tough team. And they also help get these episodes out to more people. Around the Mountain Tough Lab, we've been working hard for you guys on new programs. We just had Jim Ramos in the lab this week. Jim is host of the Men in the Arena podcast and he was in the studio all day yesterday filming a new series of content that you'll see kicking out in the Mountain Tough app soon. So one of our p- pillars in the Mountain Tough app is a spiritual pillar because iron sharpens iron, and we want the Mountain Tough community to stay sharp spiritually. So Jim has written a book called Strong Men, Dangerous Times, and he actually broke down that book in 11 videos with practical application at the end of each video. And that'll be launching in the Mountain Tough Plus app here very soon. We're stoked for you guys to see that. And we're stoked for you guys to dive into that program to stay sharp spiritually with some content from Jim Ramos. Now transitioning to today's guest, today is a very special episode. We had the opportunity, honor, and privilege to have Andy Stumpf come down from Kalispell and record live in the Mountain Tough studio. Andy, a former Navy SEAL, host of the Cleared Hot podcast, and his new show, Change Agents, shares some very practical tips that you can apply in your life tomorrow from a mindset perspective. He shares some great wisdom on breaking down life's big obstacles into bite-sized chunks, a very practical tool that you can use in your life tomorrow. Andy also went through a health scare just a few months ago. It was a very bad luck, unfortunate event that led him into the ICU. So we chat about what that looked like, what he learned from that, and what his road to recovery is looking like now. So stand by for my conversation with Andy Stump. So 
So what happened with the intestine issue? What it was, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, I mean, that's a better question for a doctor for sure. I wish I mean, I can give you the layman's answer Yeah. for anybody. I don't even know if we're recording, but if we are anybody out there, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, so do not take any medical advice from me, but, um, I think it was, we got home, we got home two days before Christmas. So it ha- okay. A week before Christmas. Uh, we were down at Mike Glover's and my wife is uh, a jujitsu coach uh, by day. That's what Mm -hmm. she does occupationally. And she has a a pretty robust and uh, I would say I celebrate her, you know, her competitive career. I don't know if she does. She was a world champion at the adult level and in the master's divisions, which is normal age people and then old people. And in jujitsu, you're an old person at 30. That's how competitive (laughs) it is. You can, and what's funny is, if you're over 30, feel free to compete with the 18-year-olds. No way. And most of them are like, no, we're, we're quite good here. And then they break it up by every five years. So that's how, I mean, age matters. Let's just mm-hmm. leave it at that. So she's down there teaching a jiu-jitsu course. And Mike's a very close friend of mine. I've known him for years, and he wanted to do a podcast. So we were doing one. And I remember the moment I first felt something shift in my stomach. I had literally just taken a sip of coffee. And... Have you ever had a meal where maybe you just didn't feel like it was digesting right and you felt something like maybe even just a gas bubble just shift in mm-hmm. your intestines? I felt it. Totally uh, normal feeling, but I remember feeling it because it was it felt like that, but it's slightly more painful, but not mm. crazy. It was like, huh. Just, just caught your attention. Yeah, a I was like, bit. okay. I, I was a mid-sentence. Like I took a sip and I was answering his question and in a mid-sentence I'm thinking, that's weird. So... We finish. It's not feeling any better. In my infinite wisdom, I was like, well, I should probably go roll for an hour and a half. So I throw my gi on. Mm-hmm. And her seminar was just finishing. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, God, I thought it was a gas bowl. I'm like moving around. Doesn't feel great, but we're there. So people wanted to stay afterwards and roll. And like I said, my infinite wisdom, let's just roll for like 90 minutes. So I'm out there. I think she was kind of keeping an eye on me. And it was all right. I mean, you're laying on your back half the time. I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Finish change out and uh, I'm having problems sitting in a chair. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can stand up and walk, but I'm like, you know, kind of like the, yeah, I'm good. No, what, nothing's wrong with me. What's wrong with you? I'm fine, (laughs) you know? And there's no In-N-Out burgers in Montana. Yeah. But there is in Salt Lake or in Provo, which is where Mike's place was. And Mm -hmm. we were going to drive home because two months before that, or maybe a month, I was with Glover again down in Moab and decided to just detonate my Bronco and had to get recovered and rebuilt. So he was able, it got recovered. It, there was a transmission fluid issue or transmission fluid pan issue, which it then leaked out all the fluid. Fixed at the dealership there. He sent an employee to go get it. They drove it to their headquarters. And our plan was, we'll drive home in one day and uh, enjoy the week leading up to Christmas, have just a chill Christmas. So- of course, I'm not going to let her drive because yeah. I need, you know, so I let her go to in and out <laughs> and uh, it's not getting any better. And she says, you know, just let me drive. Like she just demolishes this burger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, hey, let me drive. And at that point I was like, okay, fine. Takes me straight to the hospital. Totally fucking tricked me. Oh. And I'm able to walk into the hospital to the emergency room, you know, give them my ID card and I'm able to check in. And about 10 minutes after that, I had, I had started sweating from the pain and I just, I just laid down on the 
cold linoleum floor in the waiting room because it felt way better. So I'm in like the fetal position. And she told me this afterwards. <laughs> There's other people in there waiting. And I think if I had to come in with like a bunch of hydraulic fluid coming out or like a heart issue, they would have walked me right back. Oh yeah. But it, it was just kind of like a take a number thing. <laughs> just laying on the floor. So I'm on the floor and they, and this guy has a broken ankle <laughs> and they, they wheel him in on a wheelchair. And I guess he looked over my wife and mouth to her. He goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Cause he took your spot. <laughs> I mean, it was what it was. I, I didn't know what it was. You probably thought it was like kidney or something, huh? You know, I'm telling my wife, in the emergency room, like, what is a doctor going to do for a stomach ache? Like, why are we here? <laughs> so I'm sure they took us back five minutes after that. I, I was having a hard time kind of tracking time at that point. It wasn't the worst pain I had ever felt that came the next day, but they get me back in there and they get me on some pain meds and put me into a CAT scan where they hit you with the IV fluid and I'm, or the uh, iodine. Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure what it does. And I guess for some people, it makes you feel like you're like pissing your pants. For me, I got a little bit of a sensation of warmness and, you know, you're inside of this crazy spinning, whatever it is. Come back out and the doc rolls in and he's like, hey man, you have a blockage of your intestines. Twist what? it up. They didn't know at that point. They just knew that it was a blockage. You could see that. Um, I don't think they knew exactly what it was until they opened me up, but- mm. There are, it's not incredibly uncommon. So I guess with the elderly population, sometimes they go a few weeks without shitting, <laughs> which was news to me. <laughs> so they have a non-surgical intervention for that. And it's a fluid that they have you drink. But before that, since the doc, I mean, if the fluid doesn't work, you might have to start looking at surgery. So he said, hey, we're going to check you in. This was in the afternoon on a Saturday. We're going to check you in tomorrow. We're going to give you this fluid. And if that doesn't clear it, we're going to have to look at escalating some other options. I'm like, mm. all right. And they're giving me some pay meds at this point. So it was at least able to rest. I, was, I mean, I had to move around a lot to find a comfortable position and hospital beds are not comfortable for anybody who's ever been in one. So the next morning they give you this fluid and it causes a contraction in your, I think intestines, even though I don't know, I don't, and again, I'm not a doctor. If it's the abdominal muscles that are pushing on it, or if your intestines are able to contract, whatever it is, holy shit. And you feel like, I call it the red fluid of death, even mm. though the fluid was clear, but they mixed it with cranberry juice. <laughs> so when I got it with the straw in the redneck guzzler that they wanted me to drink, it was red. It didn't taste good hmm. at all. I drink the thing and almost immediately, like I start feeling that sensation. And the nurse did say, this is, this is not going to be fun. It's okay. Like, it's like Drano. <sighs> Man, I don't know. Um, I feel bad for drains, if that's what <laughs> Drano feels like. So I drink this thing and, you know, I think once you consume it, like the ride is going to be the ride until the ride stops. I don't think there's anything you could do. But I mean, I like excruciating pain from upper intestine all the way down to your lower intestine. I was, I had a hospital gown on as a top at that point. They had switched me to a hospital gown because they had IV in me. Um, but I was wearing a pair of Fjall Raven pants. Mm -hmm. I sweat through them. <sighs> I was in so much pain. Things was are it, thick too. They're thick. Yeah. I mean, I was a full athletic sweat, not from exertion of any kind, just horrendous abdominal pain. I would put it at a 10 out of 10 for about four hours straight. 
my poor wife who like is sitting there watching me. I'm like, don't touch me. Like nobody touch me. They're giving me pain meds during this time period, like Dilaudid, which is not a, a low, uh, you know, strength pain medication, yeah. not touching it. And the surgeons kind of come checking in. I got to a point I'm like, Hey man, can you just cut this out of me? Whatever it is. It's that bad. It was horrible. And he's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to start prepping for an exploratory laparoscopic surgery. But first we got to get an x-ray. So they fucking have to bring in this portable x-ray machine. And the bed I was on was kind of at an angle to minimize the pain because it hurt to fully extend. So they slide this. First they have to lower it. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like drenched in sweat. And these people are having to like move me around. So they slide the plate underneath me and they take a picture. And the doc said, okay, after that, we're going to take you to the ICU because they couldn't give me any more Dilaudid. Um, and again, not a doctor, but I guess in the emergency room, because you are more closely monitored and the ratio is closer to one-to-one, -one, they can give you different or more pain meds because they can react very easily. Yeah. They checked me into a pre or post surgical ward. So the ratio with them was like six to one patients to nurse. So there's a top shelf limit. Mm -hmm. And his desire to move me to the ICU was that they could escalate not only the volume, but the type of pain medication because he wanted to give me a dose of ketamine. Yeah but they can't do that in the pre or post surgical ward. So they get the x-ray slide me over. Um, you know, they start talking about the surgeries. I ended up having to sign a few different types of waivers because they wanted to start laparoscopic laparoscopically, which they did, which is, you know, three small holes. And it's, I guess it's like a robot, hmm. like a cool uh, device that they put in there, but it can only do so much. And then he's like, Hey, depending on what we see, we might have to like open you all the way up. So here's the consent form for that. Jeez. Depending on what is in there, we might have to leave it open and deal with, you know what I mean? Like there, and I've, there's horror stories of people who go into surgeries like this and the significant other is there thinking that it's going to go one way and they'll come out and say, Hey, you know, we were, we had to pull the intestines out and it's riddled with cancer. Oh, what do you want to do? Jeez. You know? So yeah. there was kind of all those options on the table. I signed all those. And finally, I was at a point where I'm like, you know, you guys said you had some ketamine. Let's take it for a spin because I'm <laughs> so tired of feeling this bad. And they hit me with that ketamine and I did not enjoy it. Yeah. I know there's people who use ketamine um, for therapy and I'm not positive on the dose that they gave me. But that feeling of when it first hits your bloodstream, I, I could hear the hair inside of my ears. Jeez. And it felt like it was clapping. <laughs> And so it, it like took me for a little bit of a ride and I'm asking my wife, Leah, I'm like, why is it so loud in here? She just starts laughing. She's like, it's bone quiet. Just psychological. <laughs> bone quiet. Just, I don't know. Uh, Glover said they gave him too much one time and it like shot him into the ether world. He said he lived an entire life from birth all the way through life and experienced his own death. And when he came out of it, only 15 minutes had passed. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> and he's like, you know, I sometimes even think back about that experience. It really stayed with me. Yeah. So they moved the ketamine and then, you know, surgery. I, I wasn't dying. I think if it had been untreated, there might've been a risk of that, but um, they will rack and stack the surgeries based off the severity. And there was somebody who was already scheduled and the doctor was like, listen, we're going to take care of this other surgery first because then they don't have to move stuff around. And I mm -hmm. totally empathize with that. So I had never had a surgery at that point. I had never been put under with anesthesia. I really don't know what the hell I'm getting myself into. My wife is 
dealing with a lot. You know, she's been checking in with people and kind of updating people on what we know and what we don't know. You know, my dad and his wife and my sister. And, mm-hmm. um, so they finally wheel me back, uh, get ready to go. And I remember them pushing, you know, they lift you up and put you on this operating table. Your arms are out to the side and they strap you down. And the anesthesiologist goes, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just going to give you a little bit of something for the pain. It's like, okay. And then I'm like, ah, that woke up. It was all done. I'm like, what the fuck happened? You didn't even, just out. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, that guy was awesome. I don't care. You <laughs> lie to me all you want to. I don't need to count backwards from shit. Yeah. You know, I literally remember both my left arm was the second one they strapped down. It's weird. I mean, there's lights, you know, people can't see this, but there are production lights here. And man, what a crazy, sterile, everything is white, super powerful lights. Shit's making noises. You don't know. Nobody, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess people who've had a lot of surgeries, maybe they're used to being in that room. Yeah. So I was actually kind of happy that he just juiced me when he did, because I don't need to remember any of that shit. You just wake up. Just wake up. That's yep. crazy. And I was back in the, I woke up back in the ICU room with my wife. Um, they attempted to clear it laparoscopically. And this is, I'll explain what it was and then to the best of my knowledge. So I had a kink in my small intestines, high up on my right-hand side. And I guess it is not uncommon for people to have scar tissue on the inside of their stomach lining. It could be from like the umbilical cord. It could be from a uh, previous injury, even though I had no history of uh, abdominal injury. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's what it was. The particular scar tissue I had was a loop of tissue, hmm. not a strand. And the kink of the intestines went into that loop and cinched itself off. All the blood flow shut down. So when the, uh, my wife has a picture of it, why she kept it, I don't know, (laughs) but the doctor went in laparoscopically and I think, so there's three arms. The ones on the outside, I think are, they have some level of ability, like the little, uh, can grab and cut and stuff like that, but it's really cool. They, so they fill you up with carbon dioxide to make room, to Mm -hmm. be able to see what's going on. And I guess one of them provides a light source, like makes sense, right? And what he saw was he could see the kink and he could see um, the scar tissue and how they, it was just totally bound up. But all of the intestines he could see past that were black. Mm, so dying. blood flow had been cut off. So now we're talking like we might have to remove intestines. We might have to remove bowels and that, that robot can't do that. So they opened me up from below my belly button to about two inches below my sternum. Thankfully, you know, I was present for this, but not aware. <laughs> And I guess they like pull your oh. intestines all the way out on the table. Again, present, <laughs> not aware. Oh. But what he did is he cut the uh, scar tissue, which, and then the doctor who took my staples out, I was asking him, because I'm like, this sounds very archaic. Did they pull all your intestines out? He goes, oh yeah, and they're working that thing like a garden hose. I'm like, what the fuck oh. is wrong with you people? They say there's like a mile of those things too. And you know what's weird? They don't have to necessarily worry um, how they put it back in because your body will resort it. <sighs> how wild is that? That is wild. You know, you're sitting there like trying to do like a climbing rope and other people are just like, get in there and like just, putting their knee on it, trying to get a sleeping bag closed. Yeah. So he cut the scar tissue and immediately, and I guess worked the kink out. Um, I don't, I didn't specifically ask him what he did right in those moments, but the color started coming back into my intestines almost immediately. Hmm. From my understanding- and in talking to the doctor, very high likelihood of complications later in life when they start cutting intestines and trying to re-sew them back together. Hmm. And depending on how much it is, you might have to have like a colostomy bag for a certain period of time to allow 
your intestines to heal while they're not being burdened with digestion and all that stuff. That would have sucked. It would have sucked. Yeah. So he cut it and he said that he was watching the color come back and he knew of the, obviously he's aware of the potential complications down the road. He's like, you know what? I think your body's going to be okay and we're going to give it the chance to do so. And then they went like through every inch of my intestines looking for, you know, cancerous masses, like anything that might be in there. And so it was a, that, that bill of health was good for sure, which I guess that's a silver lining to that. Hmm. Took that out. Um, so they sew you back up from the inside out. And then the last layer is staples, which it's exactly like paper staples. It's just your skin. It's right up your stomach. Just zipped straight up my stomach. And then they stapled the laparoscopic uh, holes as well too. And yeah, I woke up and was sitting in the hospital room like, fuck's going on here? And how long have I been out? Yeah. And the doctor did a good job of explaining what had happened. And I was on... Pretty heavy. I was taking Dilaudid every two hours, um, mostly because, of, like, the abdominal pain, meaning the pain I was feeling from the, the blockage, was gone. But holy shit, you want to talk about not being aware of how much you use the core area of your body to do oh, everything? So it's just cut wide open. And they have to go through your abdominal wall, oh. straight up through your abdominal. So there's the scar goes from just underneath my belly button, around the belly button, not through it, and then all the way up vertically. I mean, and they're like- Through I mean, those I, abs. Yeah. And I'm assuming they just have some clockwork orange shit going on, just holding you open. I imagine them in there like having fist fights and like fucking <laughs> jump roping with your intestines. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would have done if I were them, <laughs> not a doctor. So, I mean, day one, they wanted me to try to stand up, which I was able to do. And right after I stood up, I coughed. And I was like, "That's it. This is the end. Nobody Don't. gets better from this." <laughs> you want to? I mean, and my first thought was, I just blew out all the stitches in my stomach. It felt like, for those of you who've watched the movie Alien, that thing was getting ready to come out of and. I'm sitting there like I know that they had done like a ton of sutures that dissolve on the way out and the staples. But I, I, ha I, when I stood up, I had to hold my stomach in because that feeling that pressure on the inside of my abdominal wall was just wild. Oh. And I was able to walk around the nurse's station one time the first day. That was it. The next day, a couple more laps. And uh, then I, I didn't enjoy the Dilaudid. I, I think that, you know, it's, you know, pain seeking behavior and the treatment for that is certainly a real thing. Um, but I wanted to get off that stuff as fast as possible. I can mm. tell my body was processed, like the, I had my phone with me and it felt like I had a thin layer of almost olive oil on my fingers and I would wipe my head or my forehead in the the fluid coming out of my body, like you could tell your body is processing this stuff. It felt really weird. Synthetic. It just felt weird. And yeah. I didn't like it. And then I started getting a headache from the Dilaudid as well, which I've heard is very common. And then, so they had me on, that was the main one. And I forget the two other names, but it was essentially Tylenol and Ibuprofen. And so by the third day I was off of the Dilaudid and I was just getting basically IV, Tylenol and Ibuprofen. Um, eventually they give you fluids again, man, that was one of the worst things you wake up and you're so thirsty. You can't have water. 
And so, you know, they're like, here, just chew on these ice cubes. And I'd wait till the middle of the night, like I'd have them fill up a cup of ice. And I'd just fucking drink that water. <laughs> so good. <laughs> not medical advice, people. I'm not saying you should do it. I would just take a little sip. I'm like, fuck all of you telling me not to drink water. Why were they keeping you off water? Um, it has to do so that your digestional tract and your, it has to like start working again. Got it. Um, they won't let you have water until you start farting. I'm not joking. <laughs> I have never seen a group of people who celebrates farting more than anybody. They're just waiting for that yep. first fart. Cause I mean, I guess it means it's working its way from the top of the system to the bottom of the system. No pun intended. <laughs> and then it's clear liquids only, which includes broths. And then it's some soups. And then it's, uh, what do they call it? A low fiber diet. Then it's a slow transition back to regular food. How long were you in there? Five days. We left on the fifth day. Um, went to a Walgreens and got a huge bottle of ibuprofen and a huge bottle of Tylenol. And we were going to do the drive over, uh, we were going to go from Leah's seminar straight back to Calus. But it would have been about eight hours. You know, we would have passed nearby where we are right now here in Bozeman. Um, we would have just been a little bit west. We would have come up near Butte and just banged to west. Yeah. And then I banged to west, banged left. And then up the 93 to Kalispell, um, we had to break up into three days. So we went from Provo to Pocatello, Idaho. And because I couldn't tolerate being in a seated position, it was just oh, the yeah. worst. Getting in and out of the car, not great. Uh, Pocatello to Missoula and then Missoula back home to Kalispell. Jeez. We got home on a Friday. Yes, we got home on a Friday. I think Christmas Eve was that Saturday and then Christmas was on Sunday. But I'm sitting there like, man, I guess this is where I'm going to be spending Christmas for the first time. It was wild. What it a sucked. Freak. Yeah, that's a freak incident. Well, I asked the doctor, <laughs> why? Yeah. And he said, it was, I mean, it was interesting. Every doctor kept asking me, have you ever had an abdominal surgery? No. I'm like, God, they're like, this is not common for people who haven't had an abdominal surgery. Have you ever been, it had an injury to your abdomen? I'm like, no. Hmm. And so the doctor said, it was bad luck. And my question was, what do you mean? Because do I have good enough luck that this doesn't happen again? That's what you need to think about. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're... In a backcountry environment. Oh, I would have been. He would have been dead. A month before that, we were in Costa Rica doing a jujitsu camp. And of course, I started thinking about those things. What level of care could I have gotten there? Would I have had to like suck it up and get on an airplane to get to Atlanta or something in the U.S. to get a higher level of care? Probably. I mean, you know, a year ago this month, I was in Antarctica when we were kicking off the seven continent, you know, jump stuff. What the fuck would I have done then? Yeah. Yeah, you would have. I mean, you were you rewinded a few centuries or a century and a half from a medical perspective, and you're dying, mm -hmm. straight up dying. The doctor said I was about a day away from an, if we had not had it treated from a colostomy bag, and there was really not like a month worth of symptoms, two weeks worth One of day. symptoms. It was that first One bubble day. you felt in your stomach. Well, that wasn't the bubble. If I well, none of it was a bubble. What I suspect was it was that that was like the either the intestine moving into the loop or the loop tightening down, beginning to tighten down on it. That would be my guess. And that was, so the first thing you felt on mm -hmm. the day that mm -hmm. you ended up going, that's wild. I mean, that's one word for it. <laughs> Horrendous was the word that I generally use. <laughs> it sucked, man. Yeah. In recovery wise, it's mostly just slow. I, core. Uh, well, they say don't pick anything up that weighs over 10 pounds for the first two weeks, and then you go in for your post-surgical visit 
Um, they take the staples out if the staples are ready to come out. So I think I went in, in in like 16 days. Um, the doc takes a look at it, takes the staples out, asks you about your diet. You know, like how are things going? Is your intestines working? And then I think at the one month mark, so, um, up until the staples came out walking only essentially. And I guess a large part of the walking is it helps your body reorganize the intestines, that vertical, it's just kind of like recompacting it mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And, uh, after that it was once the staples are out and I think it was more of a hygiene thing, they don't want you to sweat before the staples come out. You can continue to walk, but you can elevate your heart rate and now you can sweat if you want to, or you can take a bath if that's your thing. Um, at the one month mark, you can look at going back into a gym, like gymnasium setting, not like rings and pommel horse and stuff, but just a yeah. normal gym, super lightweights. Um, and I think at the six to eight week mark, they basically say you can listen to your body. So it's, it's slow. It yeah. sucks. I mean, I'm at the most. That's slow. In Yeah. I'm at the most uncapable portion of my life. I think I've ever been at. I'm five, five and a half weeks out at this point. You're probably missing jujitsu, huh? I mean, I might've tested it to see how it's going to feel mm -hmm. with the right training partners. Yeah. And it was okay. Is Allegedly. Mentally, do you feel it? Mentally, do you feel like oh, for a sure. lack of rolling? It's not a lack of rolling. It's just a lack of activity. Mm -hmm. I've always had a, I recognize pretty early on in my life that I have a pretty deep tie between my physical activity and, and a mental and emotional health. Yeah. So I try to stay active. And so I just, I mean, I was just walking a lot. I mean, I was, what I was able to do, it's tough to reset your, your goalpost for what's possible. Like I'm going to go walk a mile today and you get quarter of a mile into it. You're like, I don't, maybe a half a mile, <laughs> maybe once around the block instead of four times. But then what I can say is that once, you know, the staples coming out was nice. I had this weird you, know, you don't have to leave the staples covered up. I'm like, God, I wear cotton t-shirts. I don't want like to like snag. Mm -hmm. I have this weird thought I was going to snag a staple on something, which I, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> but once that came out, I felt like, you know, okay, I can stretch a little bit more. It just felt better having those out. And then so I kept walking more. And most days I would get up in the morning before my wife did and just go do like an early morning, like five mile walk. And it's, it was nice to get out and just kind of clear your head and I think I did like one mile, three miles, then five miles, and then kind of just got used to this little bit of a loop. Went back to the gym uh, a few weeks after that. Super light, like nothing, no complex motor movements. We're talking, how can I take any pressure off of my my abs? Like, let's sit down and lift a light dumbbell and maybe press it overhead, you know, mm -hmm. which is not traditionally the normal way that I would work out, but I just had to recalibrate everything and what can I do? And like, let's just be happy that I'm walking into the gym on my own, that I'm driving on my own, that I'm not sweating through thick canvas pants. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever worn a set of the thick Fjall Ravens, you oh know how gosh. thick they are. Yes. Drenched. That is insane. Yeah. And it it's pretty, it's pretty interesting that like of all the things you've done and all the things you've been through that like this very difficult injury just came from bad luck. I don't even know if I'd call it an injury. Yeah, it's not even an injury. It's like a medical condition. Yeah. I I don't know. Wild. Oh, yeah, it was wild. <laughs> but, you know, one thing, I, I realized I needed the pain meds right after the surgery so I could rest. But I also recognized I needed to get the hell off those things as fast as possible because I wanted to listen to my body during the mm -hmm. recovery process. I think a week after the surgery... Actually, 
No, I stopped. I stopped taking the ibuprofen and Advil the day that we got home. So five days after the surgery, I was off pain meds. And it's not that it was always feeling great, but you, I was able to like listen to my body and realize that's a little bit painful. That's a little bit uncomfortable. And there's mm -hmm. you no know, the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> hard for people to do. Pain meds, you know, they prescribed for me uh, Oxycontin. And I had just watched the Netflix painkiller uh, series with oh, Peter yeah. Berg. Yeah. And I'm terrified of that shit. You watch people who never wanted to be a drug addict get their hooks or that get that stuff gets its hooks into them. And they start with, and a lot of them started with legit medical conditions and they get a prescription and like, oh, we'll just do this time release thing. And then they'd watch people like licking the time release uh, outer coating off to crush it, to snort it off their center console. And of course, that's immediately where my brain goes. I'm like, oh, that's going to be me tomorrow. <laughs> I, we didn't even fill the prescription. I, I, I wanted nothing to do with it. It is insane how much stuff they'll prescribe to you that that can cause some serious Six damage. pills is all the prescription was for. So they are at least, I think, correcting for what used to be maybe a zero after mm. that six. Yeah. But I just, I don't, I knew it was going to be kind of a, like a gigantic shift in what I thought about my own health and the trajectory I was going to need to take. And I just didn't want any part of that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to knock people who have used those things or who do need to continue to use them. And I'm not even knocking their creation, but for me, I recognize like, this is not the path for me. Mm -hmm. Did the docs have any indication with you specifically that this is a concern that could pop up for you again? Or was it one piece of scar tissue that's fixed and they're not seeing this coming up again? People forget medicine is a practice. It's a practice based in science. But if you dive down on a lot of stuff with doctors, if you find the right one, they'll tell you the truth. And the truth is they don't know. The doctor's like, I don't know. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't go to medical school and I don't know either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we both don't know. Yeah. But the doctors were fantastic. They were so awesome. So we found a good one. And the good ones will tell you when they get to the limit of their knowledge. And I don't think, I mean, what else was he going to say? Oh, a 32% chance. Like, that's a made up number. Mm -hmm. So nobody knows. Crazy. Yeah. I've used a ton of Bluetooth speakers over the years and they all have never quite had enough output for me to really have an awesome home gym workout on a Bluetooth speaker. But the Turtle Box is in a whole new ball game. They have leveled up this product. So the base and the output you get out of a Turtle Box is quite amazing. It's funny how we started using them at the lab. We had an awesome sound system at our new lab here in Bozeman. We were using it so much, we actually blew our brand new system out. We went right to the turtle boxes. And so we paired two together in the lab. And that was a lot of output for the Mountain Tough team and all of our testing to have phenomenal sound in our gym for a great workout with great music. We know there's a ton of Mountain Tuffers training in their basements, in their garages, and I know a lot of you are looking for great sound to play some music in the background to your MGDs or your Kettlebell Diesel. This is a great product for you to check out. Turtle Box is at a whole new level. The bass and the volume you can get out of that box. It's a sweet product. You guys can check them out at turtleboxaudio.com. Again, that's turtleboxaudio.com.
listening to the Mountain Tough Podcast. Well, Andy, I wanted to dig in for a while on your mindset. So when we created the the Mountain Tough show, the Mountain Tough podcast is specifically going after people's mindset, their mental toughness, but digging down deeper, a lot of the things that we talk about are like tools in your toolbox that over your lifetime have helped you get through adverse scenarios Mm -hmm. and using different tools at different times. And then also like where some of that came from and how others can apply that in their lives. So when we, when we launched the mountain tough podcast, you know, we train a ton of backcountry hunters, but we looked at it of, from the perspective of there, there are a thousand great hunting podcasts and we did not want to be in that competitive landscape. And then we're also a a fitness app of functional fitness. And we also saw a thousand great fitness podcasts and we did not want to be in that competitive landscape. But when we really leaned into it, we knew that like the backbone of mountain tough is mental toughness because mental toughness is ultimately what's helping most of our customers achieve their goals. So, you know, there's like a thousand of those podcasts too, right? Well, the, in, the, <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing with that is there are a thousand, but I'd say 90% of them are more of like the self-help, self-improvement, yeah. self-help guru mindset type podcasts. So what are your thoughts on that genre? I would rather hear from people that have, done some awesome shit than someone who's studied it and talks about it. So that is yeah. kind of like what we spend most of our time doing is just sitting down with, with great inspiring individuals. And what am we, I doing here though? <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about your intestines. <laughs> well, yeah, which was all out of my control. It's not like I was like, this is how I'll lay no, it. <laughs> That's kind of, I was like, that's the pizza I got delivered when I was born, I guess. Crazy. Yeah. So mindset wise, it's interesting with you. Cause like, I think about, you know, your military career and also your jumping, but also from me in my perspective, personally, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mindset connections and mental toughness and perseverance that has to happen throughout entrepreneurship as well. And I'm, I'm assuming you've seen a lot of that and like the things that you have to plow through as an entrepreneur, but, but how, like, how did all that form for you? How did, how did, when did you start thinking about your mindset, mental toughness? I don't know if I ever really did. I mean, I would just add life in general. I mean, I don't care who you are or what you do or what station in life you start out at or work your way through, but people have issues and mm-hmm. people have problems. It's, you know, it, I, I have been fortunate enough to meet people who have net worths that I don't understand. Like, I don't, what do you mean you have $50 billion, but their, their life isn't devoid of problems. Mm-hmm. And I've met people who have no money, who are probably a paycheck away from homelessness it seemed to be happier, happier than the billionaires. Mm-hmm. So they have their own set of problems to work through as well. And everything in between that, let's say those are the two edge cases of what's possible from an economic perspective. 
you know, entrepreneurs have problems. I don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur. Um, military people have problems. Religious people have problems. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody does, you know, yeah. and, and I think that that is lost. I think that they're, and I don't know why it's lost, but I think that it is not uncommon for people to just look at another cohort of people. And I, by a, another cohort, what I mean is by some definition in their own mind, a category of person that they feel like they don't fit into. And maybe that's an economic thing or a socioeconomic, whatever it may be, and say the grass is greener on the other side. And I just don't think it is. I think people would be better off accepting what at least I consider the fact to be is that life is supposed to be full of problems and it can kind of be part of the journey if you just accept that that's going to happen because then you can have fun trying to figure out the solution. And not all problems have fun solutions. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not trying to say that the, the family that wakes up and their child is diagnosed with leukemia, that's not a fun problem. That's not what I'm talking about. That's kind of an edge case too Yeah, from a statistical perspective. And so I don't think we should paint the, the norm with the anomaly. Um, but problems are good. And problems, at least the, the severe ones that I have faced in my own personal life, given enough distance from them, I can see the value that they, that they brought to my life. Not while I was going through it, you know, not when you're surviving a tragedy or a struggle, like I get it, you're not going to see the greater life lesson and, oh, I wish somebody would give me a fortune cookie so I could understand this. Yeah. Just keep going. And it's like, just go fuck yourself. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) problems are problems. Um, I I haven't, I don't think I have spent a lot of time thinking about mental toughness in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I mean, I'll break down for you what I think is probably the most effective tool that I have ever received. It's not something of my creation. It's a lesson that I learned when I was young, but it was reinforced and uh, taught actually when I was in the military and it has served me well with every problem I've ever faced to include. um, I've already recorded my episode that's going to come out on Friday for my own personal podcast. And the guy wrote into me and like for the first time, he's very weird email opens with, I hate you. I was like, I'm reading this thing. <laughs> yeah, you got to read that I'm one. I'm like, Roger, that's like, you and so many other podcasters talk about dealing with alcoholism like it's easy and it's not. And I opened with, yeah, no shit, dude. I never said that it was. Yeah. But knowing what you need to do and then actually doing that thing, that's the hard part. Like, But he started talking about, you know, he has he's having some issues at work. And for the first time, he's at a place where he might be forcefully ejected from the career that he, it's the only thing he's ever thought about. He's like mm-hmm. standing in front of this abyss, like, shit, what do I do? I was thinking back, I'm like, oh, I've had like three of those in my life. And now that I have some distance, the closest one being the surgery I just had. But I, the, even in the hospital room, I'm like, okay, I need to change the way I think about this. And I can get to what I've changed, but it was how I view my own health and how I want to prioritize it, right? Like I haven't been paying a good, uh, haven't been paying as much attention as I should be. I haven't been prioritizing it. And like, if this isn't a wake up call, even though it wasn't directly tied to anything that I was doing, then nothing is. Mm-hmm. But how do you make that distance from the event that's going to teach you that lesson? Um, and it's kind as simple as it sounds. You have to chunk the problems that you encounter into pieces you can digest. And, you know, the saying of how do you eat a whale or how do you eat an elephant? It is so old and so incredibly true. It's one bite at a time. You're going to choke on either of them. And I distinctly remember I grew up uh, the son of a masonry contractor. And for seven years I worked for him. And he never let me build anything. 
I was responsible for bringing the building supplies to him. And I actually am not even sure I would have been good at building it. Mm -hmm. But we lived in Santa Cruz and the earthquake in 1989, the San Andreas Fault just nuked a lot of things in the masonry world. Concretes, specifically what my dad focused on for years was fireplaces, which were most often exteriorly made with a brick called a McNear Common, which is a red brick. You'd recognize it instantly. It's super common in the construction world. Mm -hmm. And they have these things called tongs. And at least when I was working for my dad, you could carry six at a time. But I was 11. So I think the first time I ever brought my dad bricks, I was carrying like three. And I built to being able to carry one tong with two hands. And then eventually, God, I'm so happy an OSHA safety <laughs> observer never came. Because I'm like two-handed tongs going up a ladder, not tied into anything on a steeply pitched roof. And you're a kid. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. My dad would go to prison for the shit that he used to have me do. And I look back, I'm like, that was awesome. Uh -huh. Like at the age of 12, here's a jackhammer. Go stand on top of that fireplace and just start shaving it off into the grass. <laughs> And uh, don't tell your mom that I let you do this and I'm not going to tie you off. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> You'd go to prison now if you did that with a kid. Some of these jobs are huge. And we're talking three, four-story fireplaces. And a lot of the times it's a really wide base that slowly tapers up. And it's an art form for sure. Like I, I, People really shit on the trades and they absolutely shouldn't. You can learn a lot of life lessons and you'll feed your family for life if oh, you know yeah. how to do a trade. Yep. So... The great days were when the delivery truck could get the forklift right next to where I was going to take the bricks a short distance. I remember this one job. They dropped off six pallets of McNear Commons, and a pallet is 500 bricks. And at the age of 11, you are presented with the thought that there's no way anybody can get through this. Too and much. I, I distinctly remember my dad saying, don't look at the six pallets. Don't even look at this pallet. Just keep bringing me bricks. And so that, as easy as that sounds, and it's not necessarily easy to do because all you ever really want to do is like, holy shit, I've been moving these for hours. There's still five and a half pallets. But I never really cared beyond that. And it, it, it's something that I constantly reinforced myself. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure that, so that job was probably in 1990. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that job, like the specifics of the exact fireplace or the house or even where it was in Santa Cruz. But I remember that lesson because I used that lesson every day since then. Yeah. So I get into buds and, and again, my, that was like my education in that lesson. It's not like, Hey, write this down, go sauna, cold plunge and journal and, you know, and then post about it. So everybody knows that you're doing that. And, and really- it was hands on. It was really, you know, really think about what I just said to you. It's like, no dipshit, just bring me bricks. <laughs> and I think I had, like, oh, it was awesome. I had like a battery powered boom box. I mean, it was fine. It's not oh, a big yeah. deal. People now, I, I, do you remember, how old are you? I'm 41. Yeah, you remember running with a CD player. Oh yeah. You had to have the ones skip. that could, but you had to have the one, no, that, that could buffer. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so they had like the neoprene waistband. Fuck yes. And then yeah. you could carry it in your hand and then your gait would be all off because you're like trying to run but not move your hand because you're on your banger song. Oh yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> My children were like, what are you talking about? Why don't you just use your iPhone? I'm like, just get away from me. They can't comprehend it. No. So I had like this battery powered boom box. God, probably playing Leonard Skinner because he was. In, I got to have the boombox, but he got to pick what we played. Now thinking back on that, <laughs> that's not cool. Yeah. He got that for me for a Christmas. 
He's like, here's this sweet walk. Yeah, and I had to bring the batteries. I'm like, you son of a bitch. I'm going to talk with him about it. He just moved up to Kalispell too. But what an interesting lesson. So I get to Bud's years later. Um, and, you know, this was before the internet where you could research everything. So what was really valuable at that time is if you could find people in training that were farther along than you are, especially if they had a brown shirt. Because pre-Hell Week, you wear a white shirt. Post-Hell Week, you wear a brown shirt. Like You guys are getting close. You're a lot closer than I am. And the guy said to me, Dude, do not think under any circumstances about how many days you have left. Just think about making through the day that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. Just see the sun go down every day. I'm like, huh, that's pretty powerful. And then we get ready to go to uh, Hell Week, which is when I went through the fifth week of training. And it's where about 85% of the attrition happens. Sunday to Monday is ungodly for people quitting. You get a little bit more Monday night. Tuesday, it really tapers off, and then nobody really quits after Wednesday. Um, And one of the students who had made it through said, you know they have to feed you every six hours, right? I'm like, no. How the fuck would I know that? This is my first time trying this. (laughs) He goes, yeah. Don't even worry about it. He's like, sun up, sun down. Who cares? Just get to the next meal. Meal to meal. You're like, huh. Okay, that's pretty digestible. And the cool thing about this concept is you don't have to use my get to the next meal. Maybe it's get to the next hour. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's get through, you know, so I use the same concept. I went through a a pretty gnarly divorce. Um, and that divorce definitely got me to like the lowest place I've ever been when it came to like a perception of self-worth. Rock bottom, you think? Mm, I don't know if anybody ever hits rock bottom, to be honest. I think they feel like they do, but I mean- can always go further down. Probably. Yeah. I don't know if rock bottom is actually survivable. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think, I don't think many people actually hit rock bottom. I'm not saying it doesn't feel like that, but I think, I think we're capable of more than we give ourselves credit for. And I remember some of those days were just like, how in the fuck am I going to get through this? You know, a discovery process request where they want 300 documents for the last six years. And then you got to do a zoom call and then you're going to do another one where somebody's going to call you a liar. And, and it's like, I, how am I going to get through this day, let alone this month? This is the beginning of the process, nowhere near the end. And I just consistently defaulted back to the same thing. Like if it's a shitty Zoom call, like take a breath. Let's just get through this call. And I'm not going to think about anything other than this call. And it, it works. Mm-hmm. It does. And what people, the mistake they will make is they'll hear me say that it works. And what they will hear is it's easy. It's not easy. It's, it doesn't make it any easier. You still have to, like, let's say there's a, uh, a pool that has to be filled with 100 buckets of water. You could break it down into an eyedropper if you need to of what you're going to focus on, but 100 buckets of water still has to get in the pool for it to be full. It's a, it's a mental approach that can break down very complicated issues or insurmountable problems you might be facing into something that you can work your way through. Mm-hmm. And it's the most powerful tool that I've ever used in my life. Um, I used it, you know, I got in trouble <laughs> early on in my military career. Same thing, like a horrible place and you have to survive this catastrophe and work your way through it. But you have to work your way through it a step at a time. The divorce, what happened to me in the hospital. I look back at the hardest things I've ever done in my life and it it's not – People really focus on neck down muscles. You really need to focus on the neck up ones. Because mm-hmm. I, I went back as a buds instructor for 18 months. And 
I mean, you take so many physical tests before you even start training. Like if you can make it to the first day of training, you physically have what it takes to graduate. It's not the muscles below or yeah, it's the muscles below your neck that do just fine. They're fine. The one that, that just trips people up is the one above their neck between their ears. I mean, I'm telling you physiologically, these students are fine. They just quit. And a lot of that quitting is coming from looking too out at far in the future. It was my number one weapon mm. as a BUDS instructor. So you go through as a student and when people quit, you don't see them anymore because training continues and you're part of the curriculum that's ongoing. As an instructor, you actually spend a good amount of time with the students and you can ask them, hey man, like what's going on? Why'd you quit? And they're in a, they're in a really shitty emotional state. And, uh, I tried to be, you know, gentle with the question, but I was legitimately curious, like, why did you decide to give up? And there were a few versions of the answer, but the answer itself was, I found myself in a place emotionally where I was overwhelmed and whatever it is that the instructors were asking of me, I convinced myself that I was not going to be able to do it for as long as they wanted me to do it. So mm. they quit. They're not going brick by brick. Nope. They were focusing on not where they were and what the next step is they needed to take. They were focusing on where they were and how far they were from their goal. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I understood that, oh, I was able to fuck people up. Start talking about just time. Two weeks from now. Time was the only, I didn't, I, uh, you know, in SEAL training, you got cold water, cold-ish, depending on the month, it's a little bit colder in the winter. Sand, telephone poles, boats, like very rudimentary objects, an obstacle course, you know, there's daily and weekly things like a run, a swim, the obstacle course, all the physical evolutions in between. You can mess with the students a little bit outside of hell week with uh, restricting sleep, but not a lot. Uh, you can't really mess with their food. And people would try to focus on those tools. So you guys can have all that. I, mean, I never, I don't think I yelled a single time when I was an instructor. I would just go up and talk to students, get, catch them on like a Monday night of a hell week. I'm like, dude, we just started hell week four hours ago. Just totally lying to them right out of the gate. <laughs> like I'm on shift every night and you know what? I'm going to come find you every night. And I, I noticed that you're unable to stand up straight because you're so hypothermic. Yeah. Do you think you can do this for nine more days? Meanwhile, hell week's only five days long, right? Just getting <laughs> in their head. You can see it. Yeah. It destroys them. So reverse engineer that as a person and become completely unbreakable. Rep by rep, foot by foot. If it can destroy people, right? Like BUDS is a laboratory of why people quit. They, everybody who goes there, not everybody, that's far too broad. The vast majority of people that go there would tell you that there's nothing that you can do that will get me to quit. I'm going to graduate and this has been my dream for a lifetime. Go onto Google and just put into Google helmets underneath the bell in Bud's trading compound, and you will see hundreds of them. Hmm. So if you can identify why they're quitting, reverse engineer that shit and make yourself as close to bond proof as humanly possible. So do you feel like not only is it rep by rep, micro goals, but do you also feel like- Macro goal, micro focus. Micro focus. Like Bud's is 180 days long, macro goal. I'm going to get to the end of every single day before I make a decision, micro focus. Or if that doesn't work, I'm going to make it to lunch and then reevaluate my shit. Do you also think for you throughout your lifetime, like a key to that 
is always trying to go to a solution focused mindset as quickly as possible. I mean, maybe some problems have complex solutions and you can kind of get lost in that headspace too. Like you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. And I've actually found the more I can, like there are some problems in life that have very complex solutions. And there are people who can solve those better by diving into the minutia and the details. I have found for me that I actually solve them better personally. And I'm not saying I'm solving them faster or better than somebody else, but I come to conclusions or solutions better if I actually let my mind wander a bit mm. and just kind of work its way through it. And a lot of times I'll find, you know, the conversations I have, like I'll be out doing, rolling, doing jujitsu and the solution to a business problem that I wasn't thinking about in that role, like, oh shit. Pops up. That's how I can solve that. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it has taken me a long time to realize I need to be able to do that. Because if I get, I'll get really frustrated if I'll sit down and I'm like, I have a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> here comes, here comes all the solutions. And then I sit there like, I don't know what the solution to this is. <laughs> I'm this, I, I am the same way. And I, I think most people are like that. Yeah, I have to process some things. And I have to process it at my speed. Mm. Now, if I'm driving and somebody slams on the brakes in front of me, I need to process that at a real-time speed. That's an easy problem, easy solution. The more complex ones, I have to give myself time. And I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that the answer and the most appropriate answer when I look back on it came at a time where I was actively and, – and by active, I mean I wasn't trying to force my thoughts towards the solution – I was actually doing the opposite. I was trying to find an activity where I was not actively looking for that solution and it came to me. Yeah. It's kind of like letting go a little bit. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you look at your brain like a computer processor, if it's a complex problem, I mean, wouldn't it need a little bit more time and a slightly wider optic to kind of crunch through the data? Mm -hmm. I don't know. In addition to not being a doctor, I don't know shit about the human <laughs> brain, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I used to do a ton of running marathon type stuff and ultra marathon type stuff. And Was it disassociative for you? Meaning you could kind of detach from the stresses of normal life and just revel in the physical activity? It Like all great clarity for me came on those long runs. Yeah, you where you hit, could tune out the world? You can tune it out. Yeah. And then you would solve, you would solve like three problems. Per, yeah. A couple personal problems, a business problem on that run, it, just detaching, gets, getting some visibility. It was yep. amazing. It's powerful. I don't know if it works for everybody. Um, I have found that it works well for me. Mm -hmm. I did want to go back to where we started of all. With my intestines? No, not that far. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to hear about that again. I don't want to talk about it. It sucked. <laughs> back to all these difficult trials we go through in life. And I do agree it is a game changer to just realize that, that life is hard and it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. That solves a lot of problems than thinking life's supposed to be easy. I don't know when that uh, headspace shifted, but it worries me that uh, pain and discomfort in the modern era is like a medically treatable condition, mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't know if that's going to net us anything positive. Like a little grind, a little suffering, it's okay. Yeah. It's actually essential. Mm -hmm. Unless you want to be a pussy. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't grow in any way without going through some difficulties. 
there are people out there who would argue with you on that. And I, I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. It is wild. Yeah, I think you, you did talk about how all of these major milestones of difficulty in our life, there is a lot to learn from, especially 5, 10, 15 years removed. You can start seeing some things. What do you think you learned about yourself through that horrific divorce? Uh, what did I learn about myself? I think the biggest thing that I was questioning during my divorce was my own personal level of value. Mm-hmm. Like, was I, am I a good enough person to be a parent to my children? Am I a good enough person to actually deserve finding somebody else after this? Or is this the, I'm about to walk my way through a door of being alone for the rest of my life. Should I be alone? Would it be better for me? And would it be better for the world? And I think I found the answers to those questions. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I want to be very clear. I'm probably the most flawed human being walking the face of the earth. I'm a, I have the only things I've ever found success in are the ones that I accidentally tripped and fell forward into It's not built on this dossier of success after success after success. But the conclusion that I came to at the end of that was yes. You know, like I am a good enough person to be a role model to my kids. Yes, I can bring value to their life. Yes, I am a person that is worthy enough to hopefully one day find somebody else. Not that that's what you're, and I'm not saying anybody should be thinking about like in the middle of a divorce, what you need to do is get onto (laughs) Tinder, like Fuck that. (laughs) But if you don't think you're going to question you, like you're just who you are as a, it's going to, you're going to throw down a little sounding device and you're going to figure out or be at least asked or presented with like, Hey man, who are you and what are you made of? And I think those are the answers that you can find if you, if you sit with them long enough. Yeah. Fear and self doubt are like the greatest enemy we face sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. What are, are there things that you see that helped you get out of that hole, that thought process? Well, one of them is time. You know, first you have to survive. Like if you're in a crisis and we can just use that word broadly and people can define it for themselves. First, you have to survive it. So maybe accept the fact that when you are feeling crushed by the weight of those questions, that you don't have to have the answer in that moment. Mm -hmm. Take a breath, identify the next step that you need to take. Let your mind unwind and do whatever it does. You know, the classic, the water appears to be flat on the surface, but underneath there's this horrendous current or it's churning. Like, let it do that and give yourself a little bit of space in grace, you know, and just survive the crisis first, focus on the next step, still having a macro goal. Like my macro goal was like, I need to survive this divorce. The micro steps were what was being thrown at me. And in addition to that were those questions that I was, Nobody was asking me to answer those things other than myself because I can be my own worst enemy. As I, mm-hmm. And I think most people can be. The way that we talk to ourselves, like our personal self-talk, holy shit, man, that's powerful. And people lose control of that. And I, and I say that because I've lost control of that and how I talk to myself. And I have just unwound periods of time in my life because I have convinced myself I'm not, either not smart enough or good enough or capable or whatever it may be. It's wild, man. Self-talk's wild. It is. Yeah. And I, you know what? I What I don't understand 
Thank God I don't have a recorder for my inner monologue. <laughs> oh. Because if I were to hit play, yeah, it's if I were to hit play and it was like an AI person in front of me talking to me the way that I talk to myself, I would beat the shit out of that AI person. Yeah. I talk to myself in ways that I would never talk to other people. Why the fuck do we do that to each other? It's insane. If I had a recorder, <laughs> I could never, I would never be able to hit play and be like, check this out. This is no. what I say to myself. So I bet you that happens to everybody. Why are we so willing to talk to ourselves in a manner that we would never talk to somebody that we cared about or loved? Mm -hmm. The fuck is wrong with us? It can spiral <laughs> out of control. Oh, hundred percent. And then you're like, whatever, you have some bad luck and you, whatever, you have a fender bender. This is my life. Mm -hmm. All it is is bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And then you're like, have this confirmation bias and all you can see is the bad things and the good things are right over the top of your head. And you're like, why? Sci <laughs> Scientifically, there is some crazy stuff now that's out. Like if, if we do get in that fender bender and I go negative, I'm like, oh, my bumper shot, this sucks. I'm going to have to buy this new expensive bumper for my truck. Gosh, dang it. Like, and all of those things are true. Yeah. It's just not helping you to ruminate on those things. Yeah. And I guess it's, <laughs> I guess it's creating, I guess within 60 seconds, if I don't, if I don't go positive solutions, if I, if I stay on the negative for more than a minute, my brain will start dumping cortisol. Really? And that dump of cortisol will cause that negative snowball to just start building and building and building. Are you saying I should change my daily habit of brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror and be like, what are you going to do today? <laughs> what are you going to fuck up today, buddy? And you're just like, you know, hey, shh. <laughs> you might want to fix that. <laughs> joking. I only do that to myself on Fridays. <laughs> you might We're all dumpster fires. We're all dumpster fires, which is helpful. Why doesn't anybody want to talk about it? Like, I don't get that. Yeah. I try to, I try to be, I'm not joking. I have, God, I have failed at so many things and I have fallen short of the standard that I have set for myself in so many ways. And I don't think anybody out there is different. Mm -hmm. What's the value in any of the mistakes that we make? And hopefully all of them are accidentally, I don't know anybody out there intentionally going out there to make mistakes, but what's the value if you can't like objectively look at it and maybe discuss it with a friend and be like, Hey man, Check this shit out. Guess what I just did? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we'd be better as a species. Yeah. I do. Yeah. For some reason, we care too much about what other people think. We put people on pedestals and then it causes us to feel less about ourselves. It, it, is, a, it is a freeing process just to realize that Life is hard and we're all dumpster fires and we're yeah. all trying to figure this thing out. Oh, it's going to burn. Yeah. You know, it's just like, question is the velocity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is the same. Like the guy that does have $50 million, he's, his life's a dumpster fire. It just might be gold-plated. Yeah. I mean, he's got yeah. problems and it, it, it is helpful to know that for yeah. sure. So how many kids do you have? Three. Girls or boys? 15-year-old daughter, 18-year-old son, 20-year-old son. Okay. So I have two daughters. Have fun with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's stressing me out a little bit. Yeah, Ele it only gets worse. 11 and 9. Oh, you're done. Not yet. About 
three to four more years. It only gets worse. <laughs> I, I hear parents, oh, I can't wait till my kids grow up. Well, let me just tell you, when your main concern was, you know, scooping them applesauce and wiping their ass, I miss those days <laughs> because I wasn't talking to them about sex and drugs and alcohol and driving. Car wrecks, yeah. And hoping that all of those things didn't happen in one social setting. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. The problems get more complicated as they get older, but you can also do some really cool shit with your kids mm -hmm. as they get older. Yeah. Mountain Tough is the fitness app trusted by the dedicated. Mountain Tough ethos is backed by, we've always wanted to be the best in the world at helping our customers become more mentally tough. So inside the Mountain Tough app, you're not only gonna find all of our physical training programs, but you're gonna find additional training as well so that you can stay sharp physically, mentally, spiritually, and nutritionally. The Mountain Tough app also allows you to train no matter where you are, anytime, anywhere. Additionally, the Mountain Tough app is going to have programs from beginners all the way up to elite athletes. And all of our programming is structured in a way that you can start with no gear at body weight and you can go all the way up to programming that is full gear. So you can do that in a robust home gym or your local gym. There's no excuse for you not to start today. With Mountain Tough, you can conquer your goals with ideal program for your lifestyle and schedule. Train with equipment or just your body weight on your phone, tablet, TV, or web browser. Most importantly, Mountain Tough will help you train your mindset so you are always ready for anything life throws your way. Mountain Tough is offering the Mountain Tough podcast listeners an incredible offer. Six weeks free on the Mountain Tough app. All you need to do is use the code MTNPOD to redeem your six weeks of training. That'll be a 14-day free trial plus a whole additional four weeks of training. Just go to mountaintough.com and enter code MTN. P-O-D for your six weeks free on the best in class physical and mental training app. You've been listening to the Mountain Tough Podcast. What do you think you can do to make kids more mentally tough and have more of a, a gritty mindset. So I, I asked that because of your background and your, your, your background, I would say there is a big connection into who you are and that masonry job you had with your father. And in my background is similar in that like my whole childhood was very blue collar mm. and in my you know, my first couple jobs were cleaning horse stalls. That's so what I'm talking just about. Just shoveling horse shit. And it, it was normal for me back then. And like, I actually like thinking about it now, like really enjoyed it outside working, driving tractors next to horses. Like, but that manual labor DNA, I think it builds really gritty people wherever they go. It can. It can. 
Yeah. There's no, there's no tool that works perfectly for everybody. Um, nobody can make their kids do anything. We have to be very careful with the words that we use. I was listening to somebody the other day talking about, I forget, I forget what it was that they quit, but what they said was, well, they made me quit. And I stopped them and I said, what do you mean by that? Well, they made, they made me quit. They made it so hard. I said, did they physically, I use the analogy of buds, like, cause you have to ring a bell mm -hmm. and then sign some, the bell is symbolic. You have to sign some paperwork. Are you like, I said, in that situation, are you saying that they, they took your hand and they put it on the bell and they made you ring it? No. Well, they made the situation really hard. Like, oh, I agree with you that they can set the conditions and standards that are really hard to achieve. But who actually made the decision to quit? Mm. And that's a tough realization, right? Because they want to aggregate that responsibility. Because it's easier to say, they made me do it, than looking in the mirror and going, son of a bitch, I made the choice to do it. Mm. Nobody can make you quit, buds. I can set the conditions and standards that are really difficult. I can make you cold, tired, you know. Miserable. Miserable, hungry. But it's your choice. I cannot physically drag you to the bell and make you ring it. I know that because I've tried. And you get there and they're <laughs> like, no. And you're like, well, I guess I'm out of tools. Get the fuck back with your class. <laughs> so you have to be cautious with the language, right? We can't make our kids do anything. Mm. Teach your kids the lessons that you wish you knew when you were younger. I have conversations with my kids about chunking. I mean, and it's the chunking concept's not mine. And it wasn't my dad's by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like I'm not smart enough to come up with that, but they don't know that out of the box. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that out of the box. I think some people might stumble across it and others may not, but okay. This is a concept that's kind of awesome. Teach your kids. And I would say even more importantly than that, even though that's a very foundational step, is you need to model the behavior that you want to see from them. If you're talking to your kids about chunking and taking really complex tasks and breaking them down into digestible pieces so you can accomplish them. And then they see you presented with something that is exactly that situation and you implode because you do the exact opposite. Freak out. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not helping anybody. And it's really reinforcing a bad example. You know, one of the, I talk a lot when I travel the world and I'm talking about, uh, you know, leadership, trust in a leader is actually what allows people to do things beyond what they think they are capable of. And one of the fastest ways to erode trust is to say one thing and do another. Your children at all times are watching you and they're listening to you and they're going to mimic the behavior that you present to them. And that comes down to everything like conflict re resolution. I mean, if you want to, if you want to model to your children that when you and your significant other get to a place where you have a disagreement that you should elevate your emotional state and scream at each other, you don't need to sit them down and do a PowerPoint slide on this is how you should do that because that's what they're going to model. They're absorbing They're everything. absorbing that because you've modeled that behavior. That's the example that's been set for them. So educate your kids and actually have, and of course, like you can change the vernacular based off of their age, have age specific conversations. But there are, I mean, especially as a parent, there's so many just teachable moments, whether they have, a, you know, an emotional, they stub their toe, right? And then it's like the first time that ever happens, it's their black, you know, their dark night of the soul. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And then, you know, they've stubbed their toe once a week for the next two months of their life. And then by the end of it, they're like, whatever, they cry a little bit and they get over it because yep. it's no longer the dark night of the soul, but they're not going to achieve all of their goals. And that's okay. Second place, third place. That's not winning. That's first and second loser. And that's okay. 
if you don't always win, but these are all teachable moments. You could talk about why you didn't win. You could talk about things you could do to increase the likelihood of you winning or being more successful. Mm-hmm. Educate your kids and then model the behavior that you want to see from them. It's the most powerful tools you have as a parent. Did you find working on gratitude with talking about gratitude with your kids was helpful? Um, I don't know if we've ever actually had. No, we actually have. In the opera, you know, I've gotten to do some really cool shit with my kids, mm-hmm. whether it be through connections from my military background or even like having my kids come out and run the SEAL obstacle course. Like, hey, just so you guys know, like, not everybody is able to do this. This is a really cool and unique thing, and I hope that you remember it. Or places we've been able to travel or people that I've been able to meet through my social circle that have provided some really interesting opportunities. Anytime we encounter those things, we talk about the fact like this is anomalous. We need to be really grateful and thankful for this. And let's just try to treat it like what it is, an awesome experience that most people don't get to have. And let's come together over that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but not like, uh, you know, I don't make my kids sit down and, you know, journal about being grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I just asked that with how, with how easy life can be in today's day and age from like a technological standpoint. Does it actually make it easier? Well, it is stuff. <laughs> it might is seem hand, easier. Well, a lot of stuff's handed to us on a silver platter from the ability to order something. It's delivered to your door. Oh, yeah. um, so, from that perspective, I think because that gratitude mindset can help so much in in that that perseverance too. Because it it, it has helped me historically in like, a, let's say it's like a difficult mountain hunt scenario or, or even breaking it down simpler than that, a, a really difficult workout. The the chunking has helped me tremendously. So like the brick by brick, yeah. step by step. What's the biggest set you've ever done in a workout? Well, so last week, Nate and I, we, we set a big milestone to do a sled 10K. Yeah, what's so, wrong with you? <laughs> We just, (laughs) we needed something because life was relatively easy. So we put together this sled sled 10K, 6.2 miles, and we had to push a body weight sled. So we're both right at 200 pounds. And it it took nine hours and 22 minutes. So we started at five in the morning, finished late afternoon. And we, we knew, we knew from enough practice and conditions that the chunking was going to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So we we did five laps. So you have to go down and then pull the sled back. We would do that five times. And then we would essentially just go grab a drink of water, mm-hmm. uh, a gummy bear, and then mark those five laps on the board. And that was intentionally by design because we could have just push pulled and then taken a drink when we were wanting a drink. But we knew that by setting up a structure in a difficult task like that, that if we could create by design a brick by brick scenario, that we were going to be far more likely to be successful. And, And this was a challenge that we wanted to create that we had a decent chance of failing at. There was a really good chance that 
we would fail in this based not really on quitting in this one, but probably cramping or getting close to an injury, or we would fail in that sled 10K by, uh, it wouldn't really be a failure, but it would, it would eventually you're going to get that done, even if it takes two or three days. Mm-hmm. But the f- marking the board every five laps, I can't even emphasize how valuable that was because it was like once the first mile was fun it was fun we're doing Mm. something different it's a big day it's a big challenge second mile sucked um a buddy came in to pace us and so he brought out a third sled and he was pushing our tempo a little hotter than we should have been but we were excited because he was there and then then you really start to feel it. I started getting those stingers in my legs where, you know, when you're, you know, when you're like whole quad cramps for like a half a second less and you're like, Oh, the cramps are coming. And then mentally you're like, I'm going to have to work my way out of this. But when we both hit, we, Nate and I both hit a mental dark spot, but just knowing that all I have to do is just keep making five and marking that board. Complete game changer. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't matter how long we're going to be here anymore. It doesn't matter how tired or thirsty or like hungry or, or how wiped my legs are anymore. Cause I know, I know I can just keep doing five more and I just have to keep doing five more and marking that board until we have enough marks on that board. And so that, that was like a 20, that was like a 24 exam, 24 hour example of how powerful that actually is. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was just like right there in black and white on the whiteboard that it became so obvious that even if this was a half marathon sled event or a marathon sled event, you could start to see where it doesn't matter. You just keep getting five more marks and marking that board and eventually you're going to hit your goal. And it was just thinking about that just one rep at a time, like just make it to that next meal, next meal, next meal. It's wild how people see the value in that in physical activity and they forget that it, it doesn't have to be limited to that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, I guess maybe in uh, in real life, whatever you would want to describe that, it's harder to put those metrics that you would put up there. But if you can find it, it's going to have the same outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Like in a in a work scenario, it is kind of it's kind of like one day at a time, just one day. Unless that's too much for you, and then I break it into half. Mm-hmm. Unless that's too much for you, and that's not for me to define for anybody. Like I go into the gym on the times I'm able to work out. the The largest mental set I've ever done in the gym is two. Like let's say it's you know I used to work for CrossFit. Yep. You know Fran, one of their traditional workouts. It just sucks. Twenty one fifteen nine thrusters and pull ups. Yeah, but I just go by twos until I'm at 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're going to, I'm not saying I do sets of two, but in my mind, it's like one, two, mm-hmm. one, two, or for some people do threes or fives or seven. Yeah. Who gives a shit? As long as you achieve whatever your goal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see that all the time in the back country too. Like, like hiking out of some deep, nasty hole you don't ever think you're going to get out of. It's yeah. like just, and it's like, maybe I'm just going to go right to that rock right there. Mm, rock to rock. Yep. Or footstep to footstep. I, sp- I try to spend less time when I'm climbing hills, 
looking up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if I keep putting my foot in a safe place and it is higher than the previous foot, there is no mountain large enough that you won't apex as long as you keep going. That is so important to remember too, because it because you it's are so exhausting on. though. Because then you look up, you're like, oh, <laughs> you don't want to look up. <laughs> yeah. Look up occasionally because I've also gone off trail before because I wasn't. I mean, like I tell people like eighty twenty or ninety ten. Mm. Like set a huge macro goal and check in twenty percent of the time to make sure your steps are taking you in the right direction. Or maybe you're presented with information that will help you. Like you're doing this. Like I'm going to do this step at a time, and then you're like, that's a game trail. I'm taking that fucker. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to the same place, but I'm going to change my course a little bit. But in life, don't look up. Like I look, look up a little bit. Well, if you, you got to look up a little bit, if you have the the three year old, you know, crying at home and you're you're struggling through that new parent phase, it's like don't think about the next eighteen years. Oh God, no, no. That's the same thing as a bud student who they have a stack of stickies and they have 180 on the first one because that's how many days it would. I think it's 182, but. 180 and they get through the first day. They're like, Oh, thank God. And they rip it off. And it says 179 <laughs> versus the student who maybe at the end of every day, it's just like one and they put it up there and it's like, whatever, moving mm-hmm. on to the next, the difference and the likelihood of success is unbelievable. Crazy. Same student or not same student. Obviously that would be a little bit weird. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Same student, identical <laughs> twin brothers, <laughs> same school, same, they grew up, same genetics, right? <laughs> you know, exactly the same thing. The odds of one being successful versus the other, it's not even the same sport. Mm-hmm. It's just counting up instead of counting down the, the psychology of that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you have a gym facility down here. I used to own a CrossFit gym for a while. Quite a few people would come in and express the desire to lose large amounts of weight. So we'll use 100 pounds as an example because it's easy math. The difference in the person who celebrates every ounce that they lose and does not pay attention to how close they are to that 100 versus the person that struggles for a week in the gym and they step on the scale and they say, I've only lost two pounds and I have 98 more to go. I can tell anecdotally, I don't have any data to support this, but I saw it time and time and time again. The person who is focusing on their journey and the small steps is there at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The person who only focuses on where they are and how far they are from where they want to be is generally not there at the end of the day. It takes a very special person to live in that overwhelming headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these principles you can you can just apply to all areas of life. Yeah, they're just it's an easier uh, analogy in the physical world, like working out, because oftentimes you're boundary by it. this is a very concrete do this before moving on to that. Yeah. But it's, I personally think it is more powerful out of the gym setting. It's just a great analogy using it for working out. Do you find anything that has worked for just getting someone started? So like the, the chunking and the brick by brick is phenomenal once you start. But mm-hmm. if, if you kind of look around in society right now with, with men, struggling, anxiety, depression, lack of physical movement, Mm -hmm. lack of decent nutrition, lack of sleep. We, you know, we hear from, from so many folks at Mountain Tough that they just, they need that jumpstart that they need something in their life to pull the trigger and start. Have you found anything that, that helps on that side of the table? 
I can't find anything for anybody that's going to make a difference. They have to determine their why. And once it's powerful enough, the how doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They have to find the why though. There is a reason that there is an entire ecosystem of people who would just want to talk about motivation and discipline. And if that was all that it took, everybody would be wildly successful. It's not the case. You mm -hmm. can listen to all the self-help books that you want to. You can listen to all the people running on the side of the road, screaming at you about what you should be doing because they're doing it and like you're a pussy and all this other stuff. And that might help you get started a little bit. But if the foundation of that is not a why, why am I doing this? You're going to fail. But if you can really figure out and determine for yourself what a why is, I mean, people come... I'm assuming, can people come into the gym here and work out with you guys, or is this exclusively for your content type stuff? It's still a hybrid. So we have, we have test athletes coming okay. in. Let's say you opened it up to the general public and you offered coaching classes. People are going to be sitting there like, tell me why I should do this. I know that I need to, but I need you to tell me why. That is a long-term recipe for absolute failure versus the person that comes in is like, hey, I know why I'm here. I know why I need to do this. I'm a fat fuck right now and I have three young kids and I want to be able to see them graduate high school. You don't have to worry about that person. Mm -hmm. The how becomes very easy. Everybody, not everybody, that's not a good term to use. I hate broad sweeping statements because they're the broader you get, the less accurate it is. So I try yep. to avoid always and never and stuff like that. You literally could drain your bank account listening to people in the motivational space and get nowhere. Because they are not finding your why. Mm. You have to find it for yourself. That's on that's on you individually. Yes. And maybe you can find an inspirational person and work with them to determine that. But it's also not anybody else's responsibility. It's yours. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard it said many times. It's powerful. And I've said it a few times myself today. Like, if you can find the why, the how is easy. Again, so simple to say. So hard to do sometimes. What do you think your why is these days? I want to maximize the time that I have left. I look at my kids and I just, I mean, every time I look like my 20 year old son, we were just in Costa Rica together. Pretty much every time I see him, I think of the very first time that I ever held him and like gave him a bath with a sponge. And you know, I, I should ask my dad that at some point, like I said, he just moved up to Kalispell, <laughs> but like as a parent, I, how could I possibly forget those moments? Yeah. And now I see him and he's 20 and he's got a beer. He looks like a jihadist. It's very interesting, actually. I call him <laughs> Osama bin Riley. And then my middle son couldn't grow a mustache to save his life. The other day, he was just like, I'm, I'm scratching my, my wisdom hairs. And I looked at him like, you don't have any. He goes, I know, it's bullshit. He's like, Riley can grow a beard. How come I can't? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a geneticist. Like, maybe later in life, it'll come to you. But I mean, I have no idea how many laps I have left around the track. Neither does anybody else. But I want to be the most capable person and maximize the time that I do have left for them. Um, you know, I, I see my dad is a very good example of how capable you can be at the age of 77, going for walks every day. He's already training to go hunting because um, he thinks I'm going to like... I, I, truly think he's going to have me like try to guide him on a hunt. I'm like, I don't think you know how little I know about hunting. That's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. You want to go walk around in the trees? We can do that. He's ready. But his peer group, man, they're dropping dead. Type two diabetes. 
extreme obesity, alcoholism. Some of them are still smoking. And like, really? Like the jury is out on that one. There is no science whatsoever to show that smoking cigarettes is good for you in any way, shape or form. Go ahead. So, and then, you know, I talked to him about why he's so active. He's like, I want to maximize my time with you guys and my family. I mean, that's a great why that works for me. It's not going to work for everybody. Yeah. But that's an easy one for me to point to when I don't want to do stuff. And everybody is going to be, is going to encounter things that they don't want to do at times that they don't want to do it. Fuck. If you have a powerful why, makes it a lot easier. Huge Doesn't make it easy. It makes it easier. Still going to be hard. Yeah. But but that's good. Yeah. You got a bullseye at least. Yeah. What led to the creation of the Change Agent show? Ironclad called me up and said, hey, we have an idea. (laughs) I, I don't. I have come to the conclusion I've never had a unique thought in my entire life. I, I'm not joking. <laughs> of all the things that I do now, zero of them were my idea. So I had worked with them in the past, um, working with a brand. And we had done a small content project. And they called me up and they pitched it. It was their idea. Dang. Yeah. That's awesome. And I would say it's successful because of them. Because they are doing the lion's share of the work. They're finding the guests. We are collaboratively talking about like a, a broad, hey, we should look at uh, you know, fentanyl and the border crisis. Let's look at poaching in Africa or big game hunting or tech or cartel stuff. Cartel stuff. The one that came out today is about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. <laughs> what did we know? What did we not know? Uh, we knew a lot more than uh, we were being honest about, but they research the guests. They reach out to the guests. They help me put together a production packet so I can educate myself on the guest. They got me a teleprompter, very uh, similar to the one that you have over here. Mm -hmm. They gave me all the tools for success. I sit down for an hour and I talk with people, which I find to be fascinating because the topics are awesome. They do all the editing. They do the promotion. The show is successful because of them, not because of me. That's awesome. Do you, are you feeling good about like those episodes on change agents, helping Americans be more formed, informed on some pretty serious topics? I would like to think so. Um, we have access to more information than I think we can process as a species. And I try, I was talking with uh, Sebastian Younger. I've talked with him a few times now. And in the research leading up to that, he was talking about the role of the press. And for clarity, I don't think of myself as being the press, but I loved his quote. And it said, the press's job is not to tell people what to think. They should tell people what to think about. And I love that. So I don't try to, I really don't give a shit about people's politics. I can talk with people on the left or the right. Uh, the woman I was talking to about, she called it the WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Hmm. She clearly falls onto the left-hand side of the aisle. And she made some statements that are clearly, I don't even want to say that they're talking points, but they would be uh, values that are aligned with that side of the political aisle. I don't give a shit. I'm not going to you know, push back on her. There was an opportunity later in the podcast to answer one of the questions that she had brought up about why people feel a certain way. And I addressed it in that way, but not from like, oh yeah, well now let me tell you why that's the case. It's like, you know, One of the reasons that this particular person might be getting a lot of criticism is this is what they previously said, and then this is the truth. And so Mm. when you have that balance back and forth, make up your own mind. Yeah. And what should that person do? How about own them to the fact that not everything they say is perfect, and they were operating under the best information they had at the time, and you got to own that shit. And and you have to own the criticism as well. Um, So I would hope that people – are using it as a non-biased way to educate themselves. But who knows, man, with the volume of information that's available out there. It's a lot. I mean, if you follow three or four podcasts, good luck keeping up with that, especially if they release an episode every week. Good luck. Yeah. The amount of knowledge you can get in today's ages. It's not all knowledge. 
<laughs> the amount of information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some real idiots with microphones. Mm -hmm. You're cool. talking to one, you know, <laughs> we're all dumpster fires. Yeah. Yep. Some of us burn brighter than others. <laughs> <laughs> some you can see from the International Space Station and some you cannot. And how's everything going with Cleared Hot? Great. I mean, it's continued to grow. I think I've been at it for almost eight years and uh, it's continued to grow consistently month over month, every month. And I just like talking to people about stuff that interests them and how they arrived at their station in life and what did they have to go through. And it's, it is, you know, a lot of the ways, the reasons that I feel the way that I do about everybody having struggles is in talking to people that you would probably view from only their successes. And then they talk about how they got there. Like, God damn. Yeah. You know, or uh, you know, people at the absolute uh, pinnacle of their life. And then you come to find out they had to get through a bunch of valleys to take that picture that they put up on Instagram that everybody associates with, oh, their life must be, it must be nice. Mm. Like, yeah, it is nice when you put a curated photo up on it, an app that is designed to steal all of your joy because it becomes <laughs> a comparative tool. You know, and it's like, it's, we're all, that really is, I actually, I think where that feeling that everybody is struggling, regardless of who you are, is just from hundreds of conversations with people. And the struggles aren't always the same. But the one thing that is always there are struggles. Yeah. With everybody. Every single one. Yeah. And everyone you see that is some sort of glimmer of success, when you really peel that onion back every time, in my experience, it's it's at least 10 plus years of really hard work with a lot of yeah. tribulations. Yeah, it's easy to look buttoned up and just perfectly put together, especially if you have a team of people helping you do that. That doesn't actually mean that you're buttoned up and mm -hmm. put together. And it, you know what? It also doesn't mean that you're happy. I've met some really successful people and this is me speaking for them, but just kind of being around them, like, fuck, I would take a one thousandth of what that person has from a physical or economic perspective and focus on the happiness as opposed to trying to drive everything through this, you know, very item fixated ideology that yeah. we all seem to be trapped in from time to time. Yeah. It's hard to put a price on zest for life. I yep. mean, at the happiest moment. It's a good word. I'm going to use that word again today sometime. Zest is a good word. I'm going to try to use it once a week. For <laughs> I've already decided that it's going into the vocabulary. Just What are other iterations of that? Zesty? Zesty for sure. Zestful? Zesty, I think of like salad dressing though. Something with a little spice, a little sass. <laughs> yeah. A zestful pursuit of life. I don't know if that's correct. I don't know, but it sounds good. I mean, because... When you're, when you think about, how old are you? 46. 46, 46 years. Not a lot of zest left, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, I used it again. <laughs> you're going to use that the whole drive home, I know. I'm going to call people and be like, is there anything <laughs> zesty going on in your life? 46 years, you think about just the happiest six months of your life. I would imagine you'd think about that as like, priceless that that feeling to be able to recreate that and go back to that like the highs of that is hard to recreate it's hard to recreate but if you could do it it is essentially priceless like to be at that highest point of happiness in your life to be back there again like it wouldn't matter how much you made or what you drove yeah. or really where you lived 
it would essentially be worth it. I mean, none of that stuff gets buried with you anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all going back in the box. Yep. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you driving driving down. Oh, the rough four and a half hours <laughs> through beautiful, scen- you know, beautiful scenery of Western Montana. It was so arduous. It's so beautiful out <laughs> there. Yeah. And it's not negative 30 today. Well, it's nice because as you're going around like an off-camera turn, when you realize that the setting sun has created a shadow, you're like, is there ice in that current? <laughs> Should I touch my brakes? No, you're like, oh, it's 40. I'm good. Let's go. I do the same thing. Because <laughs> normally Montana, like that's a huge risk. Of oh, yeah. Right on that freezing point. Oh, it's the worst. You see people just losing it on the overpasses as well. All the time. For everybody out there who doesn't know this, the overpasses freeze before the ground around it. <laughs> you're welcome. That The sign in front of each one that says, watch for ice on bridge. I've seen... At least a dozen vehicles lose directional control mm. on that that gap. Yeah. And like right from the hard pack as it goes up and it has all that insulating or, you know, the ability to keep it from being freezing, all that material just straight to this concrete that is suspended in freezing air. And they just, wee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The back tires kick out yeah. all the time. I'm kind of here for it. How's the <laughs> coffee shop going? It's going well. I mean, we're figuring it out. It's like anything else. We, I don't even have a, I don't even have data for what the sales were today of last year. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Today's going to be a good day. Maybe <laughs> what we do last year, we weren't open. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same thing. It's, I mean, I know what I want it to be, but I also like, I have to break it down into there's where I want it to be. What are the things I can control that can get me there? And, you know, February 25th will have been open for a year. So at least I can look back and when it comes to staffing, like how much business did we do last year at this time? Now we at least have a staffing model, mm-hmm. you know, and then the next year will be more accurate. And, you know, selling stuff is weird. Uh, you know, we have t-shirts and stuff specifically for the store, almost like a souvenir item. We didn't know how well they were going to sell. So we got to a place, uh, place in the summer, as I'm sure you know, here in Los Angeles, where people just flood in in the summertime to get their Yellowstone moment in. Tourists. Oh. But you know what? At the same time. They pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So if people want to talk shit about them, but they want to take their money too. It's like, maybe you should consider shutting the fuck up. You got to pick a side on that <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> or just be comfortable with what it is. It's a beautiful place that we live in and it's not ours to gatekeep from other people. But we got to a place where we had people who wanted to spend money and we hadn't made enough shirts. I can fix that problem going forward. So I'm looking at small things that will have, I mean, I'm trying to do a 15% improvement year over year. What did we do last year? Cool. Can we play with margin? Can we play with price? Can we play with staffing? Can we play with different options? And I'm not swinging for the fences. Just give me a single, you know? That's the only black rifle in Montana. And it will always be the only one in Montana. Really? I have no idea. I just don't <laughs> want anybody to get any more ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I have no authority or the control. The territory's locked down. Yeah. I have no authority or control over that decision, but I'm saying right now, never. <laughs> <laughs> and you you built your new studio and kind of hooked it on next door oh i wish that was the idea i don't know if people tried to do a construction project during covid <laughs> but the quote on that came back at 1.8 million dollars over the original estimated price and i said no 1.8 <laughs> over over the estimate that was already high six figures dang yeah so you're doing your studio somewhere else. It's just, it stayed where it is. It's yeah. just fine. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, first off, I don't have that kind of money. And if I did, no. 
not, I'm not paying you for that. No. Yeah. yeah. Just hard. No, it's not. The ROI is not there. No. And you're a, essentially you're an owner operator of that shop. Of With my bo- business partner. Yes. I'm a 50% owner of the coffee shop. Yeah. Cause I, my wife's family all lives up there in Kalispell. Cause and, they're smart. And I was up there like last Christmas and I was like, I got to check, I got to check out Andy's shop. And I walked last to- Christmas, like uh, four weeks ago. No. Okay. The previous last Christmas. Previous. Where it was like a shell and not open yet. So <laughs> it must have been Easter because you, you you were just open for a few months. Feb 25th is when we opened. Okay. And I don't even know what month Easter is in. So I don't know what month I was there. But, but you, you were, were there and we were open. So I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> it was after February 25th, 2023. Yep. And I'd heard you were only, you'd only been open a few months. Yep. And I went in and- it's awesome. And you were working. You were, yeah. and I was like, I cover shifts there all the time. I was like, this is awesome. How can There's you not, Andy. how can you not do that? Yeah. I, I will, let me be clear. I am limited in the number of things <laughs> that anybody should allow me to do. I know how to operate the point of sale system. <laughs> if you want me to make you a drink that is outside of a drip coffee and a latte, I'll make it for you, but I don't know what it's going to be. Who knows what it's going to be, but I can work the POS. And free up another body to go do something else. And I, I love being in there. You know what I mean? It's the coolest coffee shop that I've ever been in. It is rad. And when I was sitting down with my business partner, the whole the whole idea came from, we didn't need to go to a business meeting, but somehow we were on a conversation about where would we take somebody if we needed to in Kalispell. Kalispell is awesome. It's not, God, what's the polite way to say this? It's dragging its feet into the 21st century mm-hmm. from a new construction perspective. There's some great historic buildings and actually um, the back of house operation of our coffee shop is a historic building because we didn't want to take it down to the ground. So we built new construction on the top of it and tied it in. But we were having that conversation like, man, I actually, I don't know where we would take somebody. And then it became, why don't we build it? Mm-hmm. And that was the guiding principle for the whole shop. I mean, it's 3000 plus square foot of like retail area and just places for people to sit and hang out. We paid for the most expensive like Wi-Fi package we could get so people could work there. I finally got uh, Glover's bowl and my bowl up from uh, Utah from two years ago. Um, I killed the biggest bowl I've ever killed in Wyoming last year. And that, that's, I've already got a place picked out for that. Sweet. I'm going to try to get some proof rifles like up on the walls and go ahead and try to steal them because they're going to be demilled people. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Not my first real, you know, but like killer Montana company that I had no idea, which was just North and Kalispell. Oh yeah. And just turn it into a total Montana coffee shop. But like, you know, like here they call it a third wave coffee shop essentially, but it just a very, it's modern construction. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. And I feel like as an owner, I'm obligated to know what is expected of our employees and what better way to do that than to work shifts right alongside of them. Yeah. Then you know the inside and yeah. outside. And of they also see that you fucking care. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to you wanna create an environment where your employees really are questioning even who you are. Just only show up for the good stuff and avoid being there and helping them or just even being present in what's going on in your business. Yeah. Have fun with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you got that. You have that awesome Montana Knife Company merch section. You got the Fieldcraft Survival. We, uh, I ordered a, so 
we're going to start selling their knives in the store, which is the only place you can get them outside of Montana Knife Company. People are going to freak out. When does this that? episode come out? This will be around February 12th ish. All right. They'll be for sale already because they're going on sale Monday. And today is the 24th. Fuck. Seven days will be the 31st minus two, be the 29th. We'll have Glover check the math on that. <laughs> but yeah, I ordered, we would have sold them before. They're such a high value item that can fit in somebody's pocket. I didn't want to have them out on display. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want people cutting themselves by accident. Because, sure. oh my God, you Insane. look at that knife, you're like, ow. Yeah. So I found a display that has a killer glass top and lockable drawers. So we can show people what we have for sale. And then the inventory can actually be locked away. So I'm putting that together. The clo- uh, coffee shop closes at six. I'm going to go in after hours uh, on Friday and put it all together. And we should have knives in the store. I was just texting with Brandon about it on Monday. That is huge. Because those like those drops they're doing now are, are selling out in like 60 seconds sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I have had things. I actually gave up. And I told Josh, <laughs> I was like, fuck you. I'm never buying your knives again. I have had so many knives taken out of my shopping cart as I'm going through the checkout process. I, I hate you people. Yeah, my... <laughs> My cybersecurity buddy called me one day. He's like, this can't be real. He's oh, like, it's real. He's like, these have to be Russian bots buying all these knives. I was like, I mean, I if they are, they are. Even, even if they are Russian bots, good for you, Josh. <laughs> I know. I mean, like yeah. you would think that the, the packages would come back because they're going to an address somewhere. They're going somewhere. Probably like, not to Russia. Sell to a Russian bot. And then also the package comes back undeliverable. Sell it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. That's an incredible business that yeah. he created. It's so awesome. pretty soon- in that display case, we're going to split it. We're going to have Montana Knife Company knives. And he even pulled aside two of the chef kits, which are unbelievable. And my dad is like, oh, I'm going to get one of those. What kind of discount can I get? <laughs> Mind you, I did force him to dress up as Santa Claus for three weekends last year. And I've already told him it's four this year. At the shop. Because he looks like Santa Claus. He's like, oh, I'll start training my beard in June. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay. So like, I need to get one of those. What kind of discount can I get? You can get the full retail discount, what you can get, buddy. <laughs> so we're going to do knives. And then a really good friend of mine, Casey Hildreth, is now working for Cloud Defensive, the flashlight. Same thing. Super high value item that could easily disappear into somebody's pocket. So I wanted to do it, but I, I just don't want to, I don't even want to tempt people with that. Mm-hmm. So we'll have knives and flashlights in there. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, which honestly, kind of two essentials. Yeah. I, I have one of Josh's mini speed goats. It's in my fanny. It's, I mean, the number of times I use that. And then one of the micro cloud defensive lights is right in there as well. The number of times at night, pop that thing on, throw it in my teeth and just like, you're good to go. Yeah. Game changer. Yep. That is awesome. Nice work, man. It's cool to have something like that in Montana. Like, the we, goal is to continue to improve it. You know, small little, like I said, my goal for 2024, 15%. Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's like, we're going to do 185%. No, like we're going to do 15% better. And we're going to do that every single year that we're open. Yeah. What I noticed when I went in there that day, and, and I've been back in there again since, is the community in there. It like It's just some really awesome people hanging out. Yeah. Like That's the, what we wanted. The community you can feel like within seconds walking in there, which is awesome. That was the goal. Yeah. Nice work. Thanks, That's man. cool. Yeah. It wasn't all me. Um, I, we didn't even actually write checks. I was going to say the only thing I did was write checks. We, uh, executed ACH transactions. (laughs) It was built by other people and it's run and managed by other people. And I just try to have as much of a positive influence there that I can. Yeah. But it's what it is because of other people, not me. The team. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming to the lab. For sure. 
I'll try to get up and see you soon. You should. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would be. And the next time you're up, let me know. We can actually do a podcast episode and uh, I can steal some of your time. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, secret coffee trips. Like, whatever. (laughs) 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 We're, I mean, we're so lucky in Montana too. Like just driving up to see you, it's hard to beat that. Here's an idea. Let's buy a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how to fly one, but I'll figure it out. We can find someone for that. No. And we're not outsourcing that. (laughs) We'll learn how to fly one. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Yeah. It's a big state. It is. Made smaller by a helicopter. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it'd be be wrong not to. Yeah. (laughs) That would be incredible. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Cool. Of course, man. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. What a great conversation with Andy. His wisdom on bricks. Remember that brick story. There was pallets of bricks and he had to get those to his dad. And once he learned to not look at how many pallets were left, he just worried about taking one, then another one. We see this all the time in the Mountain Tough Lab. We see it all the time with training large groups. As soon as you look at the big task, you mentally are going to fall apart. So you got to remember those bite-sized chunks, one foot in front of the next, one rep after the next. Don't worry about six weeks from now. Don't worry about six months from now. Phenomenal conversation with Andy. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember, you can hear more from Andy on his Cleared Hot podcast or his new show, Change Agents. Thanks so much for listening to the Mountain Tough podcast. Make sure to leave us a rating or review. We love seeing those come through. You can do that wherever you're getting your podcasts. And also make sure to check us out on YouTube at Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Stay dangerous, everyone. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mountain Tough podcast. We'll see you next week.